Check, check. Check one, check two. I'm doing your favorite song today. Doing your favorite song. No, did that last week. How many of your favorites do you think I should do? Psalm 116. I know, I know you're big fan of that one. Check, check. We got vocals? I think so. So we got a vocal? Yes-ish? Is there a vocal? I don't know. I think we do. Y'all can hear me? Yes? You can hear me? All right. I'm pretty loud. Clay, do we usually bring some lights down in here? Do you remember? I think we usually do. Let's bring some down. There we go. Create an atmosphere of worship. worship if you like. Feel free to sit in worship if you like. Lord, we just want to give you all of our attention. Right before the foot of the cross this morning. Lord, touch our hearts and draw us in and be blessed by this worship.
singing about how this is God's breath in our lungs. And, you know, intellectually, I know that everything I have belongs to God. I don't really have it. It's his. And my money, my children, my marriage, my transportation, my breath, each beat of my heart. But, you know, the one thing I have the hardest time forgetting that it's not mine and that it's his is my time. And I always feel like it's my time. And things are getting in the way of my time. And I've got to be places because of my time. And today I had a, an instance happen, and I just got to share it with you guys before we go on into, into praise. Um, my kid had an event that he had to be at, at school. Y'all saw me running in here at 6.30, really wide-eyed and hyper-focused. That would be why. Um, he had an event today at like 3.30. It was supposed to take 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Two and a half hours later, and we're still at the thing that he is at. And in those two and a half hours, the Lord brought another mom who had to wait for her kid and completely opened up the door to minister Jesus to this woman. We sat there for two and a half hours and talked about scripture. We talked about the gospel. We talked about the Lord. And she walked away saying, man, I just feel like I need to get back in a church. Praise God. Praise God. It ain't my time. It's not my time. And as I tap my foot and get all irritable about it and check my watch, and it's not my time. That was the Lord's time. And he worked things out because that woman needed to hear from him today, and he used my family to do it. And so praise God. And, and so um, as we're singing about it's your breath, Lord, I just it hit me all of a sudden. Yeah, it's his time too. It's everything. All of it's his. And so we got to talk about my favorite subject, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to get to sing about my favorite subject, Jesus Christ.
love you. You heard us when we cried out to you. You heard our cry. You answered us with mercy.
rescued us. I don't even remember the words I prayed that afternoon that I fell on my knees and just cried out something to the effect of, oh, Lord, rescue me. Rescue me. You're so faithful and so loving, God, and you come to the rescue every time. You're gracious and you're righteous, and you bled to death on a cross so that everyone in this room can walk before the Lord without being struck down immediately for our sin and our unworthiness. We can walk right in, and you can say, hello, my child, my son, my daughter. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Whatever it is you have to say to us, you say to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In his name, we give you all the glory. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Careful backing against the wall. All right, before we start into this and, and praying, I just want, I was thinking about what Paul talked about when he went to go share the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talked about, and this is kind of where I'm at right now. He says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And when I was a kid, I did dramas, I did plays and stuff. Being on the stage was never much of an issue for me but when you go to preach the word of the Lord or teach the word of the Lord there's a spiritual warfare and this body of mine is against me and I think about in the garden when Jesus told his disciples the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and that's exactly where I am you know what that's actually a good thing because now Christ can prevail and it's not about me Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I thank you, Father, that it's your word that is to be spoken. As we learn about Saul and his call to kingship and how you orchestrate the whole thing on both ends and how you still show compassion on your people even after they rejected you as their king. We thank you, Father, that you were with us. And we thank you, Father, that... Your word is true all the time. Amen. Chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. That's where we are today. So first, next slide. We're going to do characters in our story, and we're going to kind of review them quickly. And then we'll read the chapter. We're going to go up to chapter 10, verse 16, because that's kind of the whole story of this story altogether. And then we'll go down to the verse breakdown and then comments, criticism, insights are at the end. All right, so the characters in our story that we've got, we've got Saul, whose name means asked, and he ruled from about 1050 to 1010 BC. 
He's an impressive man, which we learn in the first few verses. There's his lineage. You got the one from 1 Samuel 9, and then if you go over to Chronicles, for some reason, there's always a little mismatch when you look at the place you're at and then where it talks about in Chronicles. But the Abiel, it says, and when the dictionary thing is also called Jael, so that could cross-reference over to Jael. So there's people that scholarly that study that in way more depth than we, you or I ever will, but that's just kind of a cool thing to look at. We have the servant who helped Saul looking for missing donkeys. We have the young women drawing water. We, of course, have Samuel, the book's named after him, after all. Then we've got God. He's in this. we got 30 or so invited men to Samuel's banquet. We have two men at Rachel's grave, and that grave is Jacob's second wife, the one he worked 14 years to get. We have three men at the Oak of Tabor. We have a group of prophets. The Spirit of the Lord is here again, and we have Saul's uncle. Those are the characters that we come across. All right, now let's get to the story. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zior, son of Becherath, son of Aphelia, son of, son of a Benjaminite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. One day, the donkeys of Saul's father, Kish, wandered off. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. And Saul and his servant went through this hill country of Ephraim and then through the region of Shelah. But they didn't find them. They went through the region of Shalom, nothing. Then they went through the Benjamin region, still couldn't find them. Then they went and came to the land of Zeph. Saul said to the servant who was with him, come on, let's go back. Or my father would start worrying about us instead of the donkeys. Look, the servant said, there's a man in the city who's highly respected. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go down there. Maybe he'll tell us which way we should go. Suppose we do go, Saul said to a servant. What do we take the man? The food from our packs is gone, and there's no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul, here. I have a little silver. I'll give it to the man of God, and we'll, he will tell us which way we should go. Formerly in Israel, a man who was going to inquire of God would say, Come, let's go to the seer. For the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. Good, Saul replied to the servant. Come, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they were climbing the hills of the city, they found some young women coming out to draw water and asked, is the seer here? The woman answered, yes, he's ahead of you. Hurry. He just now entered the city because there's a sacrifice for the people at the high place today. And as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes to the high place to eat. The people won't eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. After that, the guests can eat. Go up immediately. You can find him now. So they went up to the city. Saul and his servants were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affection of, affliction of my people, for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. 
Saul approached Samuel in the city gate and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I will tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them, because they've been found. And who does all of Israel desire but you and all your family? Saul responded, Am I not a Benjamin from the smallest of Israel's tribe? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamin tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them to the banquet hall, and gave them a place at the head of 30 or so men who had been invited. Then Samuel said to the cook, Get the portion of meat that I gave you and told you to set aside. The cook picked up the thigh and what was attached to it and set it before Saul. Then Samuel said, Notice that the reserved piece is set before you. Eat. It, eat it because it was saved for you for the solemn event at the time I said, I've invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Afterward, they went down from the high place to the city, and Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. They got up early, and just before dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get up, and I'll send you on your way. Saul got up, and both he and Samuel went outside. As they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go ahead of us, but you stay for a while, and I'll reveal the word of God to you. So the servant went on. Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it out on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler of his inheritance? Today when you leave me, you'll find two men at Rachel's grave at the Zelza in the territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you went looking for have been found, and now your father has stopped being concerned about the donkeys and is worried about you, asking, What should I do about my son? You will proceed there until you come to the oak tabor. Three men going up to the God of Bethel will meet you there, one bringing three goats, one bringing three loaves of bread, and one bringing a clay jar of wine. They will ask you who you are and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, where there are Philistine garrisons. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. They will proceed by the harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, and you will prophesy with them and be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require, because God is with you. Afterward, go ahead of me to Gigal. I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice fellowship offerings. Wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. When Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. And all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servants arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man who was with them there asked, And who is their father? As a result, Saul asked, also among the prophets became a popular saying then Saul finished prophesying and went to the high place Saul's uncle asked him and his servant where did you go to look for the donkeys Saul answered when they saw they weren't there we went to Samuel tell me Saul's uncle asked what does Samuel say to you Saul told him he assured us the donkeys had been found however 
Saul did not tell him what Samuel had said about the matter of kingship. Okay, so at the very beginning, we're introduced to Kish, and it's, we're told that he's a prominent man. We're told that he's, you know, got a lot of wealth. He's got the donkeys and stuff. And then, like, I got the ESV version, because most versions have a man of wealth or a handsome young man. And the CSB, which is Christian Standard, which is one of the versions I like, it's got impressive. So you, you put the two together, and you really get this idea that Saul's the popular guy. He's that football guy. He's the guy that, to the quarterback, he's the guy that everybody, like, looks at. Yeah, he's the guy that can do stuff. He's the guy. So from a human point of view, he looks like the strong one. He looks like the one that can take care of business. All right, so the next slide. So here, we got the donkeys get lost, and Saul and his servant, you know, his dad tells him, go pick a servant. So there's more than one servant to pick from, and he picks a given servant out of the pools of servant to pick from. Just think about that. And the donkeys get lost, and he goes out and searches for them, looks there, looks there, can't find them, gets frustrated. All right, we're just going to give up and go home. And... A failed search for donkeys leads Saul to give up and attempt to go home. How many times do we find ourselves giving up and wanting to quit? How many times do we have a, a journey or some quest or some goal that we have to accomplish? We put all our effort into it, and it fails on us, and we want to throw our hands up and walk away. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've been there. And honestly, I have quit in the past. I have given up and walked away. However, next slide, it just so happens of all the servants he picks, this servant says, you know what, buddy, before we give up, I know there's a man of God who can answer our question to help us find the, find the donkeys. Well, that's great, buddy, but we don't have anything. All the food, because I didn't pack much because I didn't think it would take us this long to find the donkeys, all their food's gone. We got nothing to give them. You know what? I just happen to have a little bit of silver. Other translations have a quarter of a shekel, which in the comments says is about one-tenth of an ounce of silver. Okay, so Saul, who's the son of a wealthy rich man, is run out of food, but the servant has silver. Hmm. <laughs> so clearly, God's at work here. So God plants the servant. Of all the servants you could pick, he picks that one. And it makes me think about what we have from Proverbs 19.21. This is a perfect example of many are the plans on a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So Saul's ready to give up, go back home, call it a day. God says, nope, I got something else planned for you. You're going this way. So the other aspect of it, of course, when we think about that, the donkeys being missing in the first place is also part of God's plan because if it weren't for the donkeys going missing, Saul would have never gone on the journey in the first place. So God, I would imagine, caused the donkeys to go missing so that he would go on a journey, get to the point of giving up, and then use the servant to redirect them. So 
all of it was orchestrated by God if you really think about it. So again here, they're climbing the hill to the city and the first people they find are these young women drawing water out of the well and they just so happen to know exactly who he's talking about, where he's at, and what he's up to. Think about that. He knew who they were talking about, Samuel. He's up that way, where he's at. And by the way, he's having a banquet. If you hurry, you won't miss it. What timing? What timing? So that is certainly a divine appointment, without a doubt. Okay, so here we've got, we saw how God's orchestrating Saul to Samuel, and now we see how God prepares Samuel to receive Saul. So the day before Saul's arrival, the day before, which is the day that Saul's looking for the donkeys, the day he's getting frustrated, and he's at the point of wanting to give up, on that same day, God's over here telling Samuel, by the way, I'm going to bring a man to you, and I'm going to make him the king. Now, this is God's grace right here, right? So, at that time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines. How many times do they have to get saved from the Philistines? Like, all the time. Because I have seen the affliction of my people, for their cry has come to me. Wait a minute. Didn't they just reject you last chapter, and they didn't want you as their king anymore? And yet, the guy that you're going to pick, you're going to use him to deliver him from the Philistines. If that's not mercy, I don't know what is. How many times do we get rejected, and we've all done it, and we've all rejected others for one reason or another, Anger stirs up, unforgiveness stirs up, and you write that person off. But God does not do that, and you better be glad that's the case because we would not have Jesus if that was God's heart. So the Lord prepares Samuel to be the first king. And when I thought about, I've seen the affliction of my people, their cries coming, immediately I thought about Moses because that's exactly what God tells Moses. I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And guess what? I'm sending you to deliver them. Wow. So God's repeating his heart. He's done this before, and guess what? He does it multiple times also later on. But if that isn't, if that isn't grace, how many times the people of Israel disappoint God, and God has every right to write them off? And even as he's bringing the enemies to conquer them, he still shows compassion and spares a remnant to continue on. That's the pattern you see over and over again. And here we are watching another land that we're familiar with go through the same kind of a thing. And we wonder, is God done with that land? Is he just writing it off? Or maybe, just maybe, like here, he hears the cry of his people and he might just have compassion. Just a thought. All right, next slide. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Again, like Moses, what a close relationship Samuel has with God that he hears from God, and God's like, as if he was like standing right next to him, and and Saul's coming up, and God's like, hey, buddy, that's him right there. 
that's a close walk. And that's also the picture we see with Jesus. That's what we see with Moses was like that. And later on when we talk about King David, he had the same thing. In fact, there's places where King David said, shall I go and take these people and wipe them out? And God's like, yes, go do it. That close relationship, this is a picture of that. And remember, Samuel is a picture of Jesus because he carries both roles, the priest and the judge. And we see also the intimacy that he has with God. All right. So finally, Saul and Samuel meet. And Samuel's like, yep, I'm the guy you're looking for. Go on ahead, and we're going to eat today. And the piece, that thigh, and if you remember from second, um, second, the second chapter, we covered the portions that were meant for the priest, and the two sons were just taking random pieces. Well, that thigh that's meant for the priest is the piece that Samuel reserves for Saul. And that makes the connection of the priestly anointing over the king, and that it's an anointed position and that it's a position that God is establishing. So that's, that's, and that's some of the things the commentaries make, make. Like, why does it go out of the way to, to say that? Because it's making that connection. So there's a couple of things that God does. He, takes, he assures Saul, hey, I've taken care of the donkeys. Don't worry about that. Mission accomplished. Oh, by the way, there's, a, there's some more to it here. Um, so we've got Samuel's hint at Saul to call to be king. Saul's confused and claims to be of little importance since he's the, of the tribe of Benjamin. And there's the commentaries have two different reference points. One from Numbers when we had the census, and they're only like 35,400. Of course, that was a few, few hundred years ago. But the most recent thing we had covered a couple months back was from Judges 19 through 20. And this is when that Levite had that concubine that had concubine had been raped and murdered, and he, he cut her up and had all the pieces go out, and all of Israel came, ganged up on Benjamin, and there's big old civil war, and most of Benjamin got wiped out. So that clan has been greatly reduced, and that's kind of what he's referencing. But recall that his father is wealthy and prominent, so Saul is underestimating himself. This is actually false humility because Saul is focusing on himself and where he's from and what he has to offer, but not acknowledging what God can do through him. I have been guilty of false humility for most of my childhood and most of my, even into my adult years. Every time you get focused on yourself, two results happen. One of two results happen. You either puff yourself up or you debase yourself. It doesn't matter which way you swing off the line, you're still off the line. Whether I think low or high of myself, I'm still thinking of myself. So when you think low of yourself, that's actually false humility. It's not genuine. Real humility is when I focus on Christ and who he is, and I'm no longer in the picture at all. That's what real humility is. So right here we see Saul's pride hidden. It looks like humility, but it's not. All right, next. Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them to the banquet. All right, this, I got ahead of myself, but that's okay. This is where the portion, priestly portion, was given to Saul. And this is, was reserved. This Solomon event was the anointing of the kingship, which is going to be happening soon. Imagine how overwhelmed Saul is. 
He's probably in such a shot that he's not clicking with him. Okay, so you're told that you're greater than you think you are. You're getting the, the priestly thigh. Everybody's making a fuss over you. Samuel's, like, all excited to see you and just, like, praising you. And you're like, dude, I'm just looking for donkeys. What's going on here? Right. I, I, think, I think about all of those uh, Disney princess movies or where, you know, she's an outcast and she's been lost from the family, has no idea that she's a princess or a prince or a king or whatever, and all of a sudden they, they, they find out who they really are and they're brought into the kingdom of royalty and they see the castle and all this stuff and they're like overwhelmed. That's what I imagine Saul's feeling right now. All right, next. All right, so I find it interesting how private... Saul, Samuel is trying to make this anointing moment. So he's telling Sam, 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 Saul, will you send your sermon off the way and then I'll tell you what God has to say. But he wants to do it one-on-one. The other thing is that the night before, he's on the roof of the house. Remember, most of the roofs back then were flat, you know, almost like a porch on top of the roof. So they, you know, basically think of a porch on top of the roof. So that's why they were like on the roof. Otherwise, you're like, what? On the roof? No, it's, it's a flat. It's like a porch. So Samuel's trying to build a friendship with Saul. Later on, when we read about, spoiler here, Saul's disappointment and how broken Samuel is over it, I get it more when I think about the type of friendship Samuel is trying to build with Saul. He was trying to be close to him. He was... He was looking to him to be something that he failed to be later on. And you see right here, from the very beginning, Samuel is eager to see this thing out of Saul right from the start. That's why he's trying to build a friendship, and he wants to give him the news to Saul in private. So we go to the next one, and that's a long section here. But the key things are, Hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And I got from one of my study, the Amplified Study Bible in its commentary, and it was so good, I just had to take it as it was. The anointing of a ruler was a religious act. That is why David has such high regard for Saul, refusing to lift a hand against the Lord's anointed. And it also said that the inheritance was the land of Israel, and it referenced back to something in Deuteronomy, where, you know, God wanted to give the land to the people, but if they disobey him, he's going to take the land back. Notice that, you know, he's given all these different signs that what God's telling him is true. A, you're going to come across these people who are going to assure you that the donkeys be fine. You're going to come across some other people that are going to give you some food. And you come across other people that are going to be prophets, and you're going to prophesy, and the power of God's going to come on you. These are all things to to assure Saul what I'm telling you, that you're going to be king, is true. So God's trying to get sure, assure Saul of what's going to happen. So after Samuel tells him all this stuff, Samuel says, okay, I want you to go ahead to Gigal and wait for me. I'm going to prepare burnt offerings and sacrifices. We'll find out that's not the only time that Saul gets told to wait. And impatience will cost you. Um, wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. 
And Saul turned around. So they're having a conversation face-to-face, and as soon as he turns around and starts to walk off, God changes his heart. And all the signs come about that day. And one of the, the commentary, I like the way the commentary put this, so I just kept it. God's spirit prepared Saul for kingship. It probably was not the spiritual regeneration the way it's understood in the New Testament times. Of course, Jesus hasn't come yet, so that can't be the case. Saul wanted to worship God, but he continually struggled with wanting to do things his own way. And that's referencing the instance where his impatience cost him and he gets in trouble big time. That's a spoiler. But the changing of God's heart, that he's changing his heart to, to, so that he can be king. So that right there, we have, this, we have this phrase in our modern day thing, God doesn't call the, those that are already, already capable of doing something. He always equips those that are called. Well, this is a picture of that right there. He equipped Saul to be king. That's why he's going to give him his spirit and why he's going to change his heart. So it's really, you think about it, Saul had no excuse. God gave you what you needed to do the job. Saul is the one that spoils it. He had what he needed, but he refused to operate God's way. So in the next scene, you know, we have a little snapshot of, hey, everything God said actually happens. And when other people around him see him prophesy, they're like, this is the same picture we see later on with Jesus does his miracles in the same town that he grew up in. And all the people are like, isn't that the son of the carpenter? It's that same response. That's not the guy we remember growing up with. That's not who, wait a minute, what? That's what's happening here. He is so radically different. It's evident on the outside. So God has changed him enough that within the same day after being changed, it's obvious he's different. Don't you see that with people that are radically saved, that were one way or another, and when they walk in the room after being saved, it's so evident you can't explain how you know, but something's different. It's like that. So this event perplexes everyone. This is a key sign of God's work concerning Saul. All right, we get down to the next one. Yeah, we're at the end here. Okay, so <laughs> that's a lot that's happened to Saul. He just found out he's, he's going to take over and be the first king. He just prophesied. His uncle inquires of him, dude, what happened today? Oh, we, we were trying to find some donkeys. We couldn't find them. We went and talked to, talked, talked to the man of God. He told us where they, where they were, that they're okay. No mention of being a king or prophesying or having the power of God come upon you. Nope, no mention of that at all. Hmm. So what's going on here? Well, there's a couple of thoughts, and these are just my thoughts. They're not necessarily in concrete stone because I can't look at the man's heart from way in the future. But notice that Saul kept the fact becoming king quiet. Perhaps he was concerned at what they might think of him. Like, God told you you're going to be king? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh, that could be that. Or even, 
after all the signs were confirmed, he's still overwhelmed and processing it all. It's still like, um, he's still trying to take it all in. It could be both. All right, we actually made it. Five two. All right, so now we have the comments, criticisms. Is it going to go to the next slide? <laughs> There's my sources, the Christian Standard Bible. I got the Crossway Study Bible, English Standard of Georgian, so that's a nice thing. I brought those with me. And then the Who's Who in the Bible, which is where I get the characters and the names and all that. And then the Amplified Study Bible, which is my purple one. I really like that one. So what we see here overall, God's providence, everything that God does from the donkeys getting lost to the final end, God's orchestrating both ends. He's orchestrating Saul to meet Samuel. He prepares Samuel to meet Saul. He equips Saul with what he's going to do. He even encourages him by giving him signs to validate, yes, I'm in fact am telling you this. And that's what we see is that ultimately it doesn't matter what you plan, God's plan will prevail. That's right. All right, anybody else have insights or thoughts? That was fantastic. That was just a great teaching. Yes, sir. Um, so you're saying like, God called Moses, and then he like, saw the people, and they're crying out to me, and he sent Moses, and eventually, I guess he had sent enough people, and he's like, okay, and now it's not just Israel, I need to save everyone, <laughs> so he sends himself. <laughs> right, with Jesus, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well... I mean, what's the expression we have as humans? If you can't do the, if you can't get someone else to do the job right, you might as well do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to uh, taking the sin of humanity, only God was qualified. Right. In fact, that's the whole point of the law in the Old Testament is to show us that only God is qualified, so that no one may boast of themselves, but only in Christ Jesus. The only good in me, Paul writes, is Christ Himself. He is the only good root in me. The issue is the root that you're born with is a broken, corrupted, disintegrating root. It's dead. That's why it produces nothing but death and sin. You don't, you're, not, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. The solution that God has is very, very simple. I have come to give you life. You're dead. You need my life. So there's an exchange. On that cross is an exchange. We are crucified with Christ, we are buried with Christ, and we are raised with Christ. The analogy I I give the kids is when you go dust furniture, let's just assume that we got a brand new cloth. It's perfectly white. Perfectly white. I got to go dust furniture. I got all this dust on the furniture. I take my cloth and I wipe that dust off. Now this is a nice clean surface. Where did the dust go? It went on the dust cloth. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Your sin was transferred from you onto Christ and then it was punished with Christ. 
See, the, the punishment that, God, that Jesus took was not for his own sin, but for your sin. That's the key. Father, we thank you for your son who took that price for us. We thank you that your word is always true. If we don't understand it or we disagree with it, it's us that has to change. It's us that must come in alignment with what you say is true and what you say is right. We are filled with the world trying to argue over what's right and what's wrong, and you have been telling us from the beginning of time, I am the definition of what is right. You alone are God and you alone are holy. Grant us the grace and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And one day we get to be with him. Praise God. You know, I heard a pastor friend of mine say one time, after 30 years of climbing up on a stage and teaching out of the Bible, he said his knees knock every time. And if he ever gets up on stage to teach the word and his knees aren't knocking, it's time for him to step down. So having, having that recognition of the, you know, the treasure we hold as broken vessels, it's, a, it's amazing that God entrusts that to us, but praise him he does. When our time here is done, we'll get to spend all eternity with him. So stand on up. Let's praise the Lord together.
you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. God, that you don't just leave us in our broken misery, Lord, but you show that mercy. You sent your son because you saw that we were incapable of doing it ourselves. And you wanted an eternity with us, Lord. I don't know why, but it's what you desired. And you sent your son so that we could be with you forever and ever. We thank you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Y'all are dismissed.